Welcome to another edition of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it's our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are continuing our Dr. Jazz, Jazz Storyteller series, Chapter 3. And basically the whole premise behind this series is just to spotlight how yours truly, Dr. Jazz, got into jazz music and the incredible and comedic bumps along the way. Some things are um, amazing, some things are funny, some things are heartbreaking. So uh, regardless, we're going to tell the whole story about it in its entirety. So we pick up where we left off in Chapter 2. And this is when I was in high school. I just uh, kind of started high school. We had a, a jazz band, you know, and um, the jazz band played a bunch of different things. And around the same time, my first year, my first year and a half, two years of high school, I discovered that there was a jazz radio station that I could pick up in my hometown. So. I want to share some of the songs that we played in the jazz band with you and some of the songs that I heard on the radio at that time. Now keep in mind, we're talking about 1993, 94. So let's go back in time and let's play you some things that we played with our jazz band in high school. Thank you. 
Basie and his orchestra with Jumping at the Woodside. That was one of our staples when I first joined the jazz band. And you have to understand that coming into something like a jazz band with the amount of passion and fervor that I came into it with, you know, I was already listening to those big bands from middle school on. And I was practicing like crazy even then. But uh, there were a couple of upperclassmen who were in the jazz band before me that truly made it like a cool thing to to be. There was a cool thing to, to be in the jazz band. It wasn't a nerdy thing. It wasn't a, uh, a chess club thing, you know. Um, there was guys, uh, like, and I'm going to keep them, you know, I'm going to keep the names to a minimum, but there was a guy named Philip S. Let's put it that way. And Philip S. was a senior when I was a, a freshman and he played the Barry sax and he was totally cool with all of us underclassmen. He would say, Hey, you know, it's a really fun experience. You get to go out around town and you get to play a bunch of gigs, you know, at the malls and for different, you know, centers and different uh, tastes of the town and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's a real gig and group, you know, and, of course, there was a guy named D-Day. I don't even know what D-Day's real name was. But there was a dude named D-Day. And if you can imagine, this dude was like slick back kind of hair, you know, just like a flannel shirt over a t-shirt, jeans. But he always drove these muscle cars. And he had like a Mustang. That was like his car that he really loved. And on the back license plate, it just said D-Day. D-E-E-D-A-Y. And D-Day was one of the coolest, coolest motherfuckers on, on the planet because this dude would just cruise through different neighborhoods and he would blast blues music. So if you could imagine, you know, that stereotypical kid, you know, racing through your neighborhood trying to look cool, you know, playing rock and roll. It was kind of like that, but he would never really speed. He was just taking his time. And instead of rock and roll, he'd be blasting Johnny Hooker, Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Stevie Ray Vaughan. So everybody admired D-Day. And D-Day was the guitar player. Go figure. And D-Day took a lot of great solos in the jazz band. So it became this very cool thing. Now... Mr. N, let's put it that way, was our band director and our jazz band director, and he um, went to the University of Tennessee, and um, I think he was part of uh, the jazz program there. Like, he, he played in the jazz band. I don't think that he was a jazz major at all. Um, but he had a couple of favorite tunes, and he kind of cast them upon us to play since we were his jazz band. So these next couple of one, two, three, four, these next four were some of Mr. N's favorites. We're going to start off with The Children of Sanchez by none other than Chuck Mangione.
and the Tiger of San Pedro and I just want to give a, a quick mention here that um, as of this recording Bill Watrous has passed away recently and you know I will have to say this that Mr. N and our jazz band you know it was <laughs> it was a weird camaraderie you know but he had certainly instilled um a nostalgic love for these guys like Bill Watrous and Chuck Mangione, you know, and I, I don't know. I, I find that the older I get, I, I really dig these tunes. So, and Bill Watrous is one of the, you know, classiest trombonists out there in the jazz, jazzosphere, if you will, and he will be sorely missed, and hopefully many other high school jazz bands who play songs like the Tiger of San Pedro, which we just heard there, will understand the mark that Bill Watrous has left on the jazz world and on the, the jazz band world. So, rest in peace, Bill. Before that, we heard Gospel John from Maynard Ferguson. Now, Maynard Ferguson was somebody I was not that hip to until high school and the jazz band, and I, I really dug that laser kind of trumpet, you know. Uh, just could cut through steel with that tone of his, you know. And, of course, you know, that led me to, uh, with my buddy Shannon, you know, um, led me to some of Stan Kenton's tracks and things like that, which is pretty, really pretty cool. And we start off that set with Chuck Mangione and the Children of Sanchez. All right, here's uh, a couple more. Let's start with Bill Chase and Chase. This is another one of Mr. N's favorites. Get it on. <laughs> I said I was 
need you every minute of the day now Girl, listen what I say, get it on in the morning now When the moon shines bright I said I want to When the time is right now I need you all Through the night now They I feel inside us I get it on in the morning now I'm gonna tell you just what I'm gonna do I'm gonna make love to you That's the kind of feeling I just won't quit I said come on girl Now this is it Get it on in the morning now Oh, that feeling's gonna be you Oh, that feeling's gonna be me It's gonna be just you and me In ecstasy
And that was more Maynard Ferguson. Old Maynard Ferguson, newer Maynard Ferguson, it didn't matter. Mr. N just loved Maynard Ferguson. And we did have a killer trumpet section. I mean, they could hit a lot of those notes. They were wailing way above the stratosphere. Friends like uh, Shannon, he was a trumpet player in that, and he was wailing up there, and he could hit all those Bill Chase notes and those Maynard Ferguson notes, and and uh, so could a bunch of other folks in that band. There was a guy named Robbie and Thad and um, Tag. They could all hit those notes, and it was great. You know what I mean? They were really striving. And, um, yeah. And before the Maynard track, by the way, that was Fire Shaker off live from San Francisco uh, with Dennis de Blasio on the Barry Sax. Killer Barry Sax player. Putting a lot of that bottom end on those Maynard charts, you know. And before Fire Shaker there, we heard, of course, Bill Chase and the group Chase with Get It On. And these are just, I mean, we had a whole book of these things, you know. But I just wanted to give you a, a kind of a snapshot into what was going on. And, you know, for what it's worth, um, there's a couple of stories that go along with that, too. There's some tr- tunes that we've already heard from previous episodes, but I'll go ahead and tell the story. So, um, as it turns out, um, there was a girl who was an upperclassman and a drum major, and her name was Stephanie, and, um, she, um, she just, she played clarinet, and she was one of the soloists in the jazz band, and she kept on missing this high note in the clarinet solo to Moonlight Serenade, and, Uh, I told my friends, I said, well, you know, I can't wait to get that opportunity to play because, you know, I know I could do it better. I've been playing this for, you know, three, four years at this point. And, well, apparently some of my friends couldn't keep their mouth shut. Word got around back to Mr. N, who called me into his office and said, there is a particularly angry clarinet upperclassman who wants to break your arms because she thinks you're talking smack about her. I said, I'm not talking smack about her. And with, I guess, just me being my own personality, I just said, I just know I can do it better. I've played this longer. But she's been a clarinet player her whole life. Okay, but she hasn't been playing Glenn Miller. And I have. I just feel very confident in what I can do. So, sure as shit, I get the opportunity, and I nailed it. So, I mean, that's hard work, dedication, practice, passion, and discipline right there for you. I mean, if you're going to talk the talk, you better know how to walk the walk. And I certainly did. And then there was a story about Birdland. So, and we've already heard Birdland from a previous track. And they found a jazz band arrangement of Birdland. And there was a big alto sax solo. And... You know, from my David Sanborn Bang Bang Challenge, from my aunt before that, um, I'd learned how to play those altissimo notes on the saxophone. So not a lot of folks in my high school knew how to play those kind of notes. 
And so I, you know, later on, I think this is about my junior year, probably, we were playing these tracks like Birdland, and I would just take some liberties, and I'd wind up holding this, like, Altissimo C, way above where the rest of the band played, and it just, it, it would bring people to their feet. And I remember specifically, my grandmother came to one of those jazz band concerts, the same one who got me started in the jazzosphere. And when I would hold that saxophone above my head, hitting those altissimo seas and like Birdland, and the people were just, you know, absolutely awestruck and applauding, you should have just seen how she just, she was glowing. And you just had to know that she had to take so much pride in that, that she deliberately had a direct hand in making these people happy, making me happy, giving me a passion to follow, and an outlet with all the creativity and energy that I had. And it was all her doing. So, yeah. There was a lot of great little stories like that in high school. Um, and here's another one. I'm going to let you listen to the track first. just joined the jazz band and at this point before we started bringing out Birdland and you know all these other things the only thing that Mr. N had were charts in which all the solos were already written out and you had all these all state players who were in the jazz band who were upperclassmen and, you know, they were just, they were killer, legit players. They could read anything that was on the paper. But 
you ask them to improv, oh, no, no, I don't even know where to begin. That's what they would say. I mean, there was this one chick. Her name was Erin, Erin B., and she was just a killer sax player, you know, just beautiful, blonde, killer sax player. And she would always play these solos, and she was the lead alto. And so when I came into that chair, it, there was no marks. There was no ideas. Use this scale to improv. It was, you know, solo here. And then all the, the melodies were written out for what you were supposed to solo. So you were just reading more written out pre-written solos and she didn't write them like the company wrote out the solos there's charts out there like that no slashes and do nothing till you hear from me was one of those songs and I was a very first I'm very proud to say this I was a very first jazz band saxophone player at my high school, Austin High School, to disregard what was written. I said to hell with it. And much like what you heard on that track, I started out with a melody, and then I started evolving and getting a little looser with the melody and a little bit looser and a little bit looser and a little bit more loose until where the melody was just a, a fainted memory and you were off off on on the tracks you were just playing your own ideas with that melody in your head and it freaked a lot of the folks out but it caught on like wildfire and it separated the wheat from the shaft so those who were very interested in playing what they wanted to play not what was suggested on a, on a page a written out solo the people who wanted to do that, they were put into what was called now the stage band. There was two bands at this point. And the ones who were really wanting to improv their own ideas. Well, we stayed in the jazz band. And I, and I would like to think that since I was the first one that it started a, a great tradition over at my high school. So... Yeah, <laughs> I, and it was on Duke Ellington. It was it's serendipity because I love Duke Ellington, and uh, a little tongue in cheek that it would be on the tune that's called "Do Nothing." To you hear from me, <laughs> so. <laughs> uh. All right, so these are some tracks that we were playing with our jazz band in high school, and we were very fortunate enough to be able to play the Loyola jazz festival down in new orleans louisiana and i got to see lou saloff play with the loyola jazz band he was doing a tribute to miles davis in the sketches of spain i got to hear a very 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 young who is just about to graduate loyola a very young jason marsalis on vibraphone and on drums with his group and they were killing it and I actually got to meet Ellis Marsalis, who was in the audience where we were sitting watching Jason and all that. So it was super duper cool. Not to mention, I had never ever been to New Orleans at this point. This is the very first time that I've ever even been given that opportunity. And luckily we had a, um, a chaperone who, uh, who had family from Louisiana. And so she knew... Um, 
New Orleans quite well and where we should go and where we should not go. <sighs> and um, we just called her Mama Perkle. So Mama Perkle took care of all of us. And we got to try some Café du Monde and things like that and walk around the French Quarter and it to me you got to keep in mind this is what mid 90s so this is way pre-Katrina this is a very magical city for me you know there's music everywhere I'm like oh my god there's guys playing on street corners and they're really good so it, it absolutely you know I always say that um my body may have been born in the state of Alabama, but my soul was born the very first time my feet hit the streets of New Orleans, Louisiana. And I'll still maintain that to this day. But I had a solo when we had to go play at the Jazz Fest. And Mr. N definitely didn't take it easy on me. He said, okay, we want you to solo over this chock full of substitute changes piece, which I was just flabbergasted at. I just didn't even know where to begin. So I worked on it, and I worked on it, and I worked on it. And here is the track. Mm-hmm. 
That was my inspiration to work on these changes to Embraceable You. So I used Charlie Parker's version of Embraceable You with Miles Davis as my basis. That was an intense, intense period of very hard work for me. And the payoff was to go and play in New Orleans, Louisiana. How magical is that? So, mm. um, of course, you know, I was given a little bit of an allowance to go down there and uh, check out what jazz stuff they had. And uh, over by the Riverwalk, there was a little place called the Riverwalk Mall, and they had a CD shop. Not there now anymore. There's, <laughs> shit, there's not any CD shops hardly anymore, except for the Louisiana Music Factory. And they're killing. So, um, but no, like, mall CD shops or anything like that, you know. Um, but I remember that I picked up three things that absolutely stayed with me, even to this day. The first was my very first copy of a Jazz Times magazine. I had no idea that there was even a magazine dedicated to jazz. I was floored. I was thrilled. I read that thing from cover to cover so many times, and I still remember that Ron Carter was on the cover. Ron Carter. Hey, ain't that the same dude that played with Miles in the 60s? Yeah, that Ron Carter. Yeah, I was just... It's like, hey, confirmation. There's a place in this country that really, you know, loves jazz music as much as me. And it was in New Orleans. And there it was, just bam, right there in a bookstore. I'm uh, Sweet, so I picked that up. And I still read Jazz Times to this day. I'm still a subscribing member of Jazz Times Magazine. It's gotten a little bit thinner now, but still. Also, number two, I picked up uh, uh, a poster. It's not a, a full-size poster, but it's just a little poster they just had in a bin over at um, the Riverwalk Mall for like five bucks or something. And it was of Sidney Bechet. And I said, well, he's playing a soprano saxophone, but I don't, I don't, I really don't know who this guy is. But, I mean, he seems like he's important. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Did I ever just have a moment of divine intervention there? You can't find Sidney Bechet posters. So, and Sidney's one of my heroes. But we'll get to all that later. Then, there is number three. I picked up a CD that I still treasure to this day. And it was the first time the Duke Ellington Orchestra meets the Count Basie Orchestra. And it was both orchestras combined. And oh my God, at the sound. Thank you. 
That's what I'm talking about. Right there. Mm. Purely heavenly sounds right there. So, as time progressed, I, I sit there and uh, I was checking out whatever I could, you know, on TV. And my friend Shannon, he'd call me, man. He was really instrumental in my growth. You know, if you if you can remember back some of the previous episodes, I mean, he he was my guiding guru in this mess, man. So he would call me and say, yo, PBS, 8 o'clock, check it out. So, of course, i you know, turn it on PBS, 8 o'clock, you know. And there'd be like jazz at Lincoln Center, you know, and there'd be like uh, featuring Joe Henderson or, you know, it'd be um, an award show where they were honoring Benny Carter. You know, it was just great stuff, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I still love PBS to to this day. You know, if it's not there, how are you going to find it? You know, and then whenever there were shows like the Cosby Show, you know, say what you will about what's going on with Bill. I'm not here to, you know, cast any aspersions or cast any stones. I'm just saying that regardless of who it could have been, you know, Marvin the Martian's show, it wouldn't have mattered. The fact that Dizzy Gillespie was on that show and the Count Basie Orchestra was on that show and Joe Williams was on that show, and that Betty Carter was on that show, and Tito Puente was on that show, and Mario Bowser was on that show. That's all that mattered to me, man. So I'm getting it from this end. You know, I'm getting it from that end. And I used to watch, I used to remember that on Friday nights, specifically Friday nights, I would stay up late turn on BET just to watch Jazz Central and they'd always have like a little list of videos of Jazz Central and things like that and they'd always have the same lady who was hosting I want to say her name was Angela something but it was killing you know what I mean and then they'd always have a concert they would show at the end that was a cool part man because it was a total crapshoot it could suck royally or it could be great and you just never knew now looking back on it now more times than not it was great and I used to tape that shit off the TV Sonny Rollins live in Montreal Dizzy Gillespie live in Montreal the Montreal Jazz Fest they played a lot of that the Yellow Jackets live you know in concert Chikoria Acoustic Trio live all that was just, I could not get enough. And one of the years uh, with our jazz band in high school, we actually got a chance to go down to Florida, to Pensacola, Florida, to the Pensacola Jazz Fest. And we got to see a bunch of, of live jazz acts. And we played a little bit. And there was like a, a, a record dealer there and the you know, used LPs, man. Miles Davis, Live Evil. You know, Porgy and Bess, Bitches Brew. All these things, you know. And I actually got a chance to hang out 
for just a little bit, about 10, 15 minutes, and just talk to him and and kind of pick his brain. And he was one of the coolest dudes ever. I'll tell you who that is right after we listen to a track by him. Thank you. 
right y'all that was none other than the homie dance written by john coltrane performed by the super trumpet talent of marcus printup and i got the chance when i was down in pensacola to meet the great marcus printup and talk to him and chat with him for a few minutes and that dude is super special, man. He is totally chill, laid back. I mean, fierce with his trumpet, but he had that same kind of calm about him that you'd read about, like, how John Coltrane was. You know, this guy was fierce with his instrument, but he had a, a calm about him that you could just, you feel like you could just talk to him for hours, you know. I wasn't going to hold him up that long. But I was asking him about... Winton and I was asking him about Marcus Roberts and some of those same cats you know because you know he he was in like you know Lincoln Center and all that so and I just told him how, how much I appreciated his his music and his tone and his work ethic and that you know believe it or not that, that there are folks who really look up to him myself included and it was just it was a great experience to, to talk to you know, what I consider the current master and what I still consider uh, one of the masters in jazz. So, so yeah, I wanted to uh, do a little shout-out for my buddy Marcus there. Mm -hmm. All right, so 
there was at this point in time I was getting into high school and I just found a, a radio station that I'd wake up to every morning when I was taking a shower and getting up and getting ready for school and it was this radio station uh, in Huntsville and it was called WJAB and I kid you not the call letters stood for jazz and blues and they have like they had great 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 programming you know back in the day uh, in the 90s they had um, oh they had like a blues you know uh, a shift and a blues show and um, they would have these shows uh, with like uh, Douglas Turner <clears throat> and it was like Return to the Source and it was like all the classic jazz stuff and you know when I was that young I didn't know what was kind of what what you would call filler jazz or smooth jazz or instrumental R&B and what was quote unquote real jazz or you know post bop jazz or you know all these terms and things like that so I just assumed if it was on the radio and their call letters were jazz and blues it was all jazz so um yeah I was just listening to it like non-stop I mean if it wasn't my CDs that I was practicing with like Coltrane and Parker and Miles and Glenn Miller and Artie Shaw and Woody Herman and Duke Ellington and all that then I was listening to WJAB and they had the coolest coolest DJs like, I'm going to play a little clip here. One of my favorite DJs was Don Juan. Take a listen. Top of the evening, Huntsville. Welcome aboard. I'm Don Juan here with Mellow Madness to Midnight. Inviting you to kick back, relax, enjoy this evening to the max. Here on your source for smooth jazz, cool vocal, 94.9 FM. And so that was Don Juan. And man, I could tell you, especially in the summertime, me and my brother, we'd play basketball outside. We'd flip open that garage. We'd throw on some WJAB 90.9 with Don Juan and Mellow Madness Till Midnight. And we were just, we just tune out to these jams, man, playing b-ball till like midnight, you know? And it was just, it was great. You know, it was, and it was, it probably wasn't great in the, in the spectrum of things. I mean, it wasn't like WBGO, you know, or anything like that. It wasn't Phil Shep, but it's all we had, man. And, you know, it, it introduced me to a lot of things that I wasn't hip to. Things that not even my buddy Shannon was telling me about. Like this track, which I fell in love with by Joe Sample and the Crusaders. Thank you. 
and it seemed like every Friday morning before school, they get things going in a funky way every funky Friday.
Rick Wesley and the Horny Horns, Parliament, George Clinton. Get up for the downstroke. Always, it seemed like, without fail, every Friday, Funkalicious. Gotta get up for the downstroke. But then on Sundays, it seemed like Douglas Turner would always do his return to the source in which he'd always do a spotlight on classic jazz. And sometimes he'd just pick an era, and sometimes he'd just pick a, an artist, and he'd go with it. But the one thing, and, and I loved that from a historical point of view, but the one thing I remember the most is that he had the coolest theme music for Return to the Source. And you know what that was? This.
that's where I found out about the majesty and beauty of Herbie Hancock and the whole realm of modality with tracks like that, like Maiden Voyage. Just beautiful tracks. By the way, if you want to check out some of these albums and you know what I'm talking about and what you're listening to as I present this story, you know, please check out the website Dr. Jazz Podcast D R J A Double Z Podcast, all one word. Dot WordPress. Dot com. Or you can go on SoundCloud directly to where it says the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Click on that name and it should, on the right hand side, and it should take you to the website as well. If you are on iTunes, think about checking out SoundCloud or think about just checking out the website. Either way, I appreciate you listening. There's always surprises here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. So I'd really appreciate you listening. So here's another great legend that I was introduced to through the majesty of WJAB 90.9. You'd be shocked. Barrow Sanders. Our roots began in Africa.
one of Don Juan's Mellow Madness Till Midnight staples. I can remember this track very specifically every time, every Saturday night, me and my brother would be out in the front yard driveway playing basketball. They'd flip on this song and I'd start raining on some threes.
Grover Washington Jr. with Wine Life from his album Wine Life. This is another great song that they were playing. Totally introduced me to Grover Washington Jr. Here's a couple more I'm going to throw at you that they were playing. Hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
favorite of WJAB was Funkadelic with George Clinton and Cosmic Slop. Two more favorites from WJAB. This is Al Jarreau with Roof Garden. Oh, yeah. That's it. 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 That's it, baby. Hey, mom. What's your mama gonna say? She finally let you part like Sing me one more, 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 sing in the garden. Sing me one more, go dance up on the roof. Sing me one more, 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 sing in the garden. Sing me one more, go dance up on the roof. Sing me one more, 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 sing in the garden. Does anyone wanna go dance up on the roof? Does anyone wanna go waltzing in the garden? Does anyone wanna go dance up on the roof? Get 
dancing in the garden. Does anyone want to go dance So 
you about that man who changed my life. The one I thought, oh, my Lord, when I saw him walk in the back of that bar, all tall and lean with them broad shoulders, sweet lips. I knew that I had died and gone to chocolate heaven. <laughs> Jackal. 
Jordan with the Jackal. And before that, Al Jarreau with Roof Garden. These are both two that they played constantly on WJAB. And, I mean, it, the fact that I can remember them 20 years later. All these selections, these were big repeats. What does that tell you? And the thing that I remember specifically is that I never heard anything like that on the saxophone what you just heard with the jackal that controlled kind of avant-garde noise that little almost like jackal-like laugh on the saxophone that effect that brought so much more meaning to the music you know I mean yeah there's a girl talking about a story about meeting this guy but that that sound that controlled sound that's what really got me and that funky bass line but and then Al Jarreau, I mean, that's the thing. I already had mentioned in a previous podcast on this, you know, that I, I was introduced to Al Jarreau through Moonlighting, the TV show, because I, I enjoyed that TV show at the time, because I like mysteries. But I'm saying, wait, wait, that's the same guy. So now I'm starting to piece these things together, you know, and I'm starting to get introduced to things like, like, that's Miles Davis? What is that? That's Miles Davis? What is that? Parliament Funkadelic? They're the same guy? George Clinton? What? So I'm starting to get introduced to Ronnie Jordan and Parliament and Funkadelic and other tracks by Miles Davis that I never had even heard. And the Crusaders. Grover Washington Jr. All these things. You know, Pharaoh Sanders. And very cool stuff and I'm like whoa you know what is all that plus all the return to the source stuff with Douglas Turner Herbie Hancock you know all the classic jazz John Coltrane stuff you know um, but then my friend Shannon you know he had never steered me wrong right <laughs> well he started uh, saying well hey you need to check out this trumpet player hey you need to check out this saxophone player and so I mean Nobody in my family knew necessarily what was and what was not jazz, and so he had never steered me wrong. And so I started going and down this rabbit hole, and this is what I started listening to for like a year or so in high school.
it was a done deal. It just seemed like the world had started ganging up and going smooth. Sounds like a bad Yacht Rock episode. So that was Warren Hill from his album Devotion with Another Goodbye. I would practice this. I'd get every altissimo note down. And I'd try to get that smoothness of the track before. Rick Braun, the trumpet player, the smooth jazz trumpet player, with Grooviz off of his album Beat Street. And they started playing more of this on WJB and Les Miles. And they started playing more of this stuff on BET's Jazz Central. Started playing more Dave Cause, Art Porter, George Howard. All these guys. And so everything just started becoming real smooth. Add that with a kick of puberty. And a new car. A driver's license. Fresh haircut. Yep. All those things just made me go completely smooth. And in fact, I'd even had been the impetus to turn a bunch of my friends onto this stuff. So a bunch of my friends like Giovanni and Myron and William and Maurice, we all started just jamming after school in the band room. Then we went over to Myron's house and we'd go and jam in his garage. And then we decided we were going to get a band together. And that band was going to be called Impulse. And we actually, we rehearsed and we rehearsed and we played jazz in June over in Huntsville and the van broke down in the rain. <laughs> oh, Myron had to borrow his dad's van and that van broke down in the rain. God bless him. And we were all in the van and we got the, the it, everything fixed. We got to the gig. There's hardly anybody there. But we still played. And then we actually, we played at the Von Braun Civic Center uh, Playhouse, a very intimate venue. And we brought our smooth sounds to Huntsville once again. What did we ask? You may, what, what did we play? You may ask. Well, we played tunes like these next two tracks that I'm going to play for you.
Ah yes, Norman Brown, smooth jazz guitar player playing For the Love of You, cover of the Osley Brothers classic. And we would play an instrumental version of that in that smooth jazz vein. I have lived that life. By the way, with all this smooth jazz, you know, I had uh, been through my fair share of girlfriends by this point. I remember dating this one girl in high school. I'm going to keep these stories kind of short and brief. I remember dating this one girl in high school. Real sweet girl. You know, good parents, good home, everything. Her name was Teresa. And I can remember being on an intense Miles Davis kick. And she coming up to me one day and after school and saying, you know what, I've thought about this and I don't think you should listen to Miles Davis anymore. And I said, you don't think I should what? She says, I don't think you should listen to Miles anymore. You just seem really reflective and really moody whenever you listen to him. And I don't think that's healthy for you. And I said, this is over. So I have literally broken up with a girl for jazz because there's no girl that means more to me than Miles Davis and his majesty and power and what I feel over that. So, there's that one. Then there was a girl named Jennifer, and Jennifer was a girl that I had actually met in middle school, moved away, came back, and when she came back, I was deep into the smooth jazz, playing my saxophone with pyrotechnic high notes, like the Warren Hill track you heard, you know, I had a fast car, a, a quaff in my haircut. I really thought that I was all that in a bag of chips and my shit didn't stink. And then I remember that I had this young, young, young thing. She was like a freshman when I was a, a senior. And, uh, is actually when I was with the band Impulse. She was playing a different gig with an orchestra uh, the same venue, and uh, I remember being a bad boy, you know, and uh, sneaking a couple of kisses and such behind uh, the stage curtains right before I went on to perform with Impulse over in Huntsville. So, yeah. Smooth jazz makes you do bad things, bad choices, bad choice of notes, bad choices in life, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, I got one more track for you. It's another track that we would play with Impulse. It's from the album Double Vision by Bob James and David Sanborn. Here is Maputo.
Oh no, what will happen to Dr. Jazz? Will he ever escape the clutches of smooth music, of smooth jazz? With their irresistible high notes and their sexy grooves. Well, you'll just have to tune in for the next chapter to see what happens. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Hopefully you're getting a big kick out of this and some laughs too. Alright, I know I am. Don't forget to visit the website. Check out anything you may like. Make sure you get the right album covers. Please support these artists and their music if you dig it. That's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. We do love you madly. And until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust.